0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. I hope that you are ready for a fantastic new year, but the year is not over yet. Nope. Nope. We still have one more executive profile, one more deep dive conversation with a leader on the front lines of the clean energy revolution. Thank you for joining. So much effort and time go into creating these episodes. I'm so honored and grateful that you are lending me your ears and the only non-renewable resource you've got. That is your time. If you're new here, I know you're going to get a ton of value out of each and every episode, but especially out of this one, because my friend Mohammed is gonna bring the heat. It's such a good conversation with a genuinely insightful and entrepreneur-minded individual. You're gonna learn a lot. Today's entrepreneur, Mohammed Abdallah, is the founder and CEO of Good Faith Energy. And he is no stranger to adversity, the middle child of a single mother who raised Mo in the hardest of times and helped cultivate in him that grit determination and fire that will come through as you listen to his conversation today on how he started and grew Good Faith Energy. He didn't get his start in the renewable sector. He got his start in oil and gas. Quite interesting story how he transitioned from oil and gas to renewables, bit of a vagabond traveling around, really searching for what he wanted to contribute to the world. And today, Contribute, he is, good faith, is one of the fastest-growing residential companies serving the solar sector in Texas. And they are the largest national installer for two products you might recognize, the Span Smart Home Service Panel and the Tesla Roof. That's right, possibly the highest-priced solar panel on the market. They're the largest installer in the nation of that product. Want to learn how Mohammed and his team have pulled that off and why they've positioned themselves in the premium end of the sector in a market that is absolutely going gangbusters texas residential solar well stay tuned and if you like what you hear i hope you'll subscribe to the show because that is how you will ensure you won't miss out on our twice weekly content just like this tactical practical advice on tuesdays and deep dives like this one with muhammad on thursdays where we give you the goods from founders and leaders on the front lines of the clean energy revolution each and every week More than 550 such stories in the back catalog of the Suncast podcast. You can hear all of those, both by subscribing as well as going and checking them out on mysuncast.com, where you can search and pick and peruse at your leisure. There is a little magic trick. If you scroll all the way to the bottom of the website, there's a search bar. You can search for any topic or person or thing that you think has been on the Suncast podcast or would like to know if it has been on the Suncast podcast, like episode 101 with Chris Voss, where we dig into negotiating the right way to never split the difference. Just one example way back from the canon. That's one of my favorites. A special thank you to everyone throughout this year who's supported Suncast. It has been a phenomenal year. As we close out the year, this is one more example of how the Clean Energy Revolution is in a full swing and it is being led by unbelievable entrepreneurs like Mohammed Abdallah. Let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Something I have wanted to do for a long time is actually get back down to the front lines, folks that are installing projects that are making a difference in their neighborhood and those around them. And I can honestly say that no single CEO of an installation company has come more highly recommended by my listeners and introduced to me by my listeners than today's guest, Mohamed Abdallah of Good Faith Energy.
1: Mo, glad to have you on SunCast. Thank you for having me, Nico. It's a
0: pleasure. I'm going to try to absorb some of your mojo, man, because I am watching you guys just climb like a rocket ship. It's unbelievable how successful you have been able to grow this, how successfully you've been able to grow this company out of Texas. I mean, it's the it's the Lone Star State. It's practically its own other country. I'd love to hear the story before we jump too deep down the rabbit hole of like how Good Faith came about and how you became the top Tesla roof installer and the top SPAN installer. But your story spans a, a longer arc than, than just solar. Can you talk a bit about the family you grew up in? I'd love to hear what the conversation was like around the dinner table as a kid. I know that you and your family immigrated to the United States from Canada, but where do you come from and how does that inform the way you think about
1: your role in the world? Oof, you're starting out with a super deep question. Obviously, my parents being from Egypt, I was exposed to uh, poverty. I was exposed to, you know, a different way of living, a different culture, a different language, uh, very young age. I learned uh, a lot about what it looks like to, to work very hard. Uh, I think my dad had a, an incredible work ethic. He was one of like 20 something kids, um, didn't really know his dad, grew up uh, in a household with a single mom with nine other siblings. For me personally, um, I grew up in a household with five siblings and, uh, or four, and I was one of five. Uh, I was the middle child, uh, I had an older brother, older sister, younger brother, younger sister, uh, I tell people all the time, I got kind of the the luxury, the you know, beauty of both worlds of being able to interact with, you know, male, female, older, younger, you know, I, I believe that uh, that that has had a lot to do with kind of my higher level of emotional intelligence, just growing up in that family dynamic, uh, getting to travel at an earlier age and see people that were a lot less fortunate than I was. And uh, believing that I had this duty to work extremely hard because I was born in a situation and a condition that was much more fortunate, it definitely influenced uh, my way of thinking about the world and uh, how important it was for me to to give back. And you know, some people say if you're if you're giving back, you've taken too much. You really have to integrate it into your lifestyle, you have to be super conscious, you know, how do you give? And it's a very deep question. You know, we can segue into that for a long time. I think you all have to learn to receive, you know, so there's, there's that important element in life too, but uh, it's definitely influenced the way uh, I thought about the world. And yeah, I'm just very fortunate that I, I had uh, some adversity happen to me in my life at a young age. I lost my dad at the age, age of nine. So that too was a very, you know, transformational in my life. And um, it, it made me who I am.
0: You know, it's such a rich culture that you have grown up in. I can't imagine the heart and grit that you were able to witness from your mother persevering through losing her husband, raising five children alone, being a middle child that I'm certain formed a deep sense of understanding of the world that many of your peers didn't have. I'd love to hear your reflection just from the perspective from nine to 19 is a, it's a formative time. And without your father, who did you look to in your community or in the world that gave you a sense of direction?
1: Yeah, so my my mom first and foremost was like, she became the bear, right? She's the mom, the, the dad, she became everything. And uh, my mom is an incredible woman. Uh, I asked her like, you know, 10 years ago, um, mom, like, how did you do it? Right? Because like, my mom had never paid a bill, had never worked a job, uh, could barely speak English. And um, it was very difficult for her to adjust, right? Because all her family's back home in in Egypt. And so um, I, I was like, how did you go to sleep at night? And she was like, I didn't. And I was like, well, what did you do? And she was like, I'd stay up all night and pray. And then I was like, when did you go to sleep? And she was like, oh, you know, after I take you go to guys to to school, uh, I'd get my rest in and then I'd get up and start preparing dinner, you know. And so she pretty much sacrificed, you know, I would say 10 to 15 years of her life uh, to raise us, um, you know, prioritize faith, education. Uh, It wasn't always easy growing up uh, without a dad. Obviously, Um, you kind of need your dad in certain moments and uh, luckily i had a a older brother that i looked up to i always say too, i I owe a lot of credit to him my older brother i see a lot of times um, you know a a sibling or i'm sorry a parent um, getting lost or or passing away excuse me and the eldest sibling is kind of the example if they go down the deep end uh, typically the rest of the siblings do Uh, but my my older brother uh, graduated high school graduated college got married started a family um, so he was a really great example for us. Um, I kind of uh, fathered my younger brother. Funny enough, he works with uh, me now here at Good Faith Energy, and he's a senior account executive and he's doing great. But he's always supported me, always been down for the ride, always been ready to to roll and and to help uh, with whatever needs to get done. And and it's great to have that that rock uh, here in the company.
0: Have you ever met uh, TJ and Tyler Kaczyczewski of Innovative Solar? I haven't you dig these guys. They're what in South Bend. Sense? Great story. I've got a couple of good interviews with TJ Kaczewski that you should look into on the, in the Suncast canon, but really, really good dudes that their story is very similar. Um, absent the losing father thing, but like Tyler now runs Innovatus. TJ started it. It came out of a business their father mm-hmm. had created. Uh, it's a great story. Anyway, I just thought about them and the way that Our solar industry does, it sort of has two really interesting overlaps. One is a deep love of music. I find that in every business I know of in the solar industry, and this isn't true in like generally tech and elsewhere, but there are artists, not just musicians, not just people who love to listen to Spotify playlists, but like real artists. And then the other is, it is in every way, a family business, the way that construction industry is, you
1: know? Mm. I, absolutely. I mean, my partner isn't my uh, blood brother, but it feels that way. And, um, you know, he's got several family members working for us. And so do I and uh, childhood friends. And, you know, it's incredible. Like you look around, like ha- half of us played soccer with each other at some point growing up. Yeah.
0: You should also listen to the interview with the folks over at Solar Landscape. I interviewed Kate Gold and her brother, two separate interviews, but Kate was on on her brother's interview anyway. It's emblematic of what you're saying. Like they basically hired all their friends and we've been for the last decade at a place in our industry where that, that was totally like, that was what you had to do, you know? And it also was what you, yeah. you were, what you got to do it was like a privilege. Like I've got, I've built this crazy thing that's growing and like, Hey, can you come over here and like help me bail water?
1: <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, don't mix family and business. And I get that perspective as well. It can, it can become hard to, to manage those those relationships and dynamics, but I think when you set the right conduct in place, code of conducts, when I mean, you the right policies, the right people in the right places, leadership is obviously very important, and then you know everything else just kind of works itself out. And at the end of the day, like you're going to have your work family, uh, you're going to get into arguments. And that's normal. Like you get into arguments at home, but the key is to, to stay respectful and to be mindful and to come from a place of understanding versus place of pride and ego and and whatnot.
0: What was your older brother's name? Omar. Omar. Great name. Yeah. So you weren't always a business person. Uh, What did Omar... Imagine you would grow up to be.
1: It's <laughs> a great question. I mean, honestly, everyone knew I was an entrepreneur. Really, um, but by yeah, what so, signs? Well, you know, the middle child's like a squirrel is like you know seeking attention left and right. No one knows who they are. I mean, I had I had family friends that would come over and ask my mom like, "Oh, who's this?" And she's like, "That's my middle son, Mohammed." You know, <laughs> and so um, some neighborhood were, kid, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Uh, it was, it was nice. My older brother got all the attention. Um, my older sister, she was, she's my rock too. She's my first, you know, love friend. You know, she, she looked after me. She was the one and only, um, you know, investor, low knee to good faith energy. Uh, so when I first started the company, she loaned me $20,000 uh, to get going. She's always believed in me in, in like the lowest points of my life. I would always seek her, um, and just go find her wherever she was, you know, and, and get some some advice. She's so wise. Um, but I was kind of just flying under the radar, and and I like that, you know. The my, my youngest uh, sister was kind of like a, a, a blessed uh, thing for my my mom. Um, she was a year old when my dad passed, so uh, her and my mom are like twins. It's pretty funny. And then uh, my my younger brother was just kind of like lost in the mix. Um, so he was like me and it was fine. Like I, I kind of loved flying under the radar and, and making sure that I could take care of myself. And I think that's where the entrepreneurial nature came from. Um, you know, in like elementary school, I was selling candy kebabs to kids. I would get like starburst and different types of candies and stick them on a kebab and sell them. And, You know, and then in in like, you know, the middle school, high school, I was selling like bootleg lacoste and seven jeans and stuff and people were buying them. They loved it. So I was, I was always hustling something and um, I could never keep a job. Uh, So every time I'd get a nine to five, I would just, you know, not follow policies uh, very well.
0: You're what my friend Michael calls proudly unemployable. (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. Proudly (laughs) self-employed. Yeah. 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 That's That's awesome.
0: Well, I hear the roots of entrepreneurship and the subtle overtones of wanting to march to your own drum. Why then coming out of school, did you take a job in uh, the oil and gas industry?
1: Yeah, I, I kind of lost my way in college. Um, It was, I I really wanted to get out of the house. Um, So, you know, being stuck in the house, you know, my mom was so protective. I, you know, say things like I'm going to the gym and she'd say, no, I, you can't go to the gym. You, You sit at home, you stay with me. I think she has this, uh, you know, deep fear of abandonment, which I can't I can't blame her for, you know, Uh, it's very, very difficult to go through what she went through. Um, But for me, I was a youth and I had all this energy and I needed to get out. So I I left uh, for the University of Tulsa. It's kind of far, far enough to be away and no one knows me, but then close enough to go home, you know, every couple of weeks or every month. And um, while I was in college, I was just kind of going through the motions. I would say I, I didn't really like. I wasn't a great student. I was always making A's and B's, but I didn't really try hard. I didn't study. I didn't really, you know, do what I. I, I wasn't passionate about school. I was not a good student. Uh, definitely not my bachelor's. I made good grades, but one day my roommate walked in. He told me I switched my major, and I was like, "What did you switch it to?" And he said, "Energy management." Uh, and it sounded super interesting. I was like, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm interested in energy, you know, <laughs> I was like, what, you know, what are the salaries coming out of college for, for this degree, you know? And, and at the time, you know, again, I'm very entrepreneurial, but I was thinking about money, you know? And so he was like, yeah, you know, they're coming out making 80, $90,000 a year. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of money to be, you know, 22 years old so i switched my major i went down that route uh it was really just a fancy uh degree name for oil and gas law the entire program was sponsored by you know oil and gas companies and so you know it it definitely was a part of my journey and i never regret it or talk bad about it and it was just what led me to what i'm doing today you know i started my career uh, coming out of college about three months later. Uh, and, uh, went down to Houston, the energy corridor, the energy capital. That's when I started to become a little bit more aware of like what my work actually was. I don't think I understood that in college. And
0: at the time so, you were, is, was it Conoco was the only, the first and only job you had in oil and gas? Is that right?
1: Well, I actually had some internships before then, but even during your internships, like you're just kind of having fun, you know, you're just going to work. And my boss was super cool. He would go play basketball together for lunch. And he was just like, I just want you to have fun. And and so I, I knew that the work was boring, um, but I was getting paid great and I was having some fun on the job, you know. So um, when I went to Conoco, that's when kind of reality set in over the first couple of months. I'm like, man, this is super boring. You know, I'm like, I'm doing what I have to do, but really I get to work. I'm playing with my 401k numbers, you know, investing in different things. And I was getting my job done. I mean, my core competency during that stretch uh, at at ConocoPhillips was like, if there was a problem that involved humans, Mo can fix it. Oh, can you be more specific? So um, we have a homeowner, uh, I'm sorry, a land or mineral owner that uh, we need to get their minerals leased. They're the only acreage that hasn't been leased in this pooled unit or um, whatever it is. Uh, they're holding out because they're upset about what XYZ. And I just have a way with people of uh, communicating to them and relating to them. And I think that that has helped me a lot in my professional career. You know, I, I tell people all the time, like, I'm definitely not trying to be the smartest guy in the room. I know I'm not. If I am, there's a problem. Um, I'd rather have the most emotional intelligence in a room and understand, you know, what's happening around me and how I can, you know, uh, relate to certain people, uh, you know, open up conversations. And that's been, that was a lot of fun for me. I got to dig into this,
0: man. You said if there was a problem that involves humans, Mo can fix it. I want to hear, if you can, maybe an example, because I'm not a land guy. I, I have a lot of friends that have moved from oil and gas over to renewables because procuring land and, and the rights of way uh, are, are very similar, if not the same. But can you give me an example that uh, maybe someone else can relate to of a time where you intervened? Because I want to make sure I really understand what it is that they brought you in for. What did they see in you that maybe you didn't even realize because it's so innate in your person? And maybe it was just a simple conversation, but I'd love it if you could unfurl that for me a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think first and foremost, communication is key. So uh, being able to communicate to people, uh, understand their concerns, what their objections are, what their goals are, what actions need to be taken, who's the authority, what's the timeline I mean, all that is very important within within your communication and there were several instances where the oil and gas company was trying to kind of uh, complete a unit of uh, leased minerals where they can't start fracking or drilling without all of these land owner and mineral owners permission and one or two might be held out Um, there might be some issues with contractual terms and uh, typically uh, there would be kind of a a, a breakdown or just uh, it would just get stalled I mean, the first time one gentleman came to me, said, Mo, can you make this phone call for me? And, and that was the guy that recruited me from college. So I think he had seen something in me. And I'll always remember that he gave me that opportunity. And when I fixed it, he started to bring me more and more issues. How did you fix it? Uh, what did you fix for him? It was a communication. You know, I called the, the land mineral owner. He didn't want to hear from me. Um, I asked him for a lunch. I think breaking bread is the most incredible tool um, that's available to all of us, you know, buy someone a meal and hear them out. And honestly, you know, it's, it's been a decade or more. I don't really know what was said during that conversation, but I was able to relate to the homeowner, understand, you know, what their pain points were and find a middle ground. And I think when people see that you're fighting for their business and their relationship um, they're willing to negotiate and compromise.
0: Yeah. I think what happens all too often, and we're going to see this a lot in the next decade with things like the IRA at our backs, right? Um, that people become mechanical. Processes become processes, not human interactions. We have to, we have to avoid that as much as possible. And sure to scale, you need systems, but what you were able to do maybe with time leverage for the guy that recruited you. It was like, may, maybe this, this youngster can to make something happen, but he's, he's certainly going to give it a try and let's, let's throw him into the deep end. Uh, that's really, that's really insightful for, I mean, for me to think about, you have to break that veil. If you're running into the roadblock in email or what other, you know, text message, however it is that the communication is not getting through, what do you have to do? Go knock on their door. Do you send them good old, good old handwritten letter, right? Invite them as you said letter. to break like bread, that. like breaking bread mm-hmm. is such a powerful moment. It's a day-to-day thing, but it's very intimate. It's a personal thing. It's,
1: it's nutrition. Yeah, especially when the food's good. If it's not, then it, it might make things even worse.
0: <laughs> well, Mo, you, your days were numbered at Conoco, possibly from the beginning, because not only burning in you was the seed of entrepreneurship, this desire to build your own thing, but a seed of doubt. Talk to me about what led ultimately to your departure at Conoco and, and uh, sort of vagabonding around to figure out what you do next
1: <laughs> absolutely I um so I, I went out after about a year year and a half of putting together all of my acreages and minerals I was able to go witness my first oil or well excuse me getting drilled and it was a fracking site it was the first time I had witnessed one it was kind of eye-opening uh, I think I was just uh, taken aback and just uh, absorbing it all at the time And then I remember a few weeks after that event, I I came back to the office and I started asking questions like, hey, is is this safe? Is this, you know, good for the environment? You know, we we were celebrating as a company the fact that we could see Central Texas from outer space because of all the flares that we were burning, because we had drilled thousands of wells and we... We couldn't uh, monetize the natural gas because the infrastructure in, in Central Texas wasn't great and it wasn't, it wasn't valuable enough. So we just had, you know, flare sites and we were just flaring methane 24 hours a day, you know, seven days a week. The hole in the ozone's from Central Texas. <laughs> it probably is. I mean, at least 20%. Yeah. I just remember sitting around, everyone's popping open their Coca-Cola soda cans and, you know, stuffing their face with, with icing and cake. And I was just shaking my head like, is this normal or is this, you know, should I be celebrating right now or should I be kind of like just doubting everything that I'm doing, like my purpose? I mean, I think several occasions throughout my life, I've I've stopped and asked myself, like, what is my purpose? So I I basically, you know, started asking questions. Uh, I had been promoted up to that point. I was doing great. I was making, you know, six figures uh, two years into my career. I was just focused on how much more money I was going to get every paycheck. Uh, And then after that, I started asking a lot of questions. My management team didn't necessarily like that. Um, And so at some point they actually pulled me aside and and, uh, gave me a drug test. And I had smoked a joint. I failed the drug test and I was uh, out the door. And I'm actually super glad that that happened to me because I don't think I was man enough. I was just too cowardly to leave that position, leave the 401k, leave the health benefits. Uh, but I, you know, obviously, innately, I'm not a good employee. <laughs> you know, I'm just, yeah, but, just and as you pointed out, you had a mark
0: on your back because you, you mm-hmm. were asking subversive questions. Is this,
1: are we doing the right thing? Yeah. And I mean, you know, for me, it's like if if, if I've invested this much into an employee and they fail a drug test, am I going to fire them uh, off the bat or am I going to send them to rehab for 30 days? or No, am especially I gonna, in a
0: company where like ba- basketball lunches and, and cake and Coke parties probably t- are common.
1: I mean we've normalized alcohol but alcohol is probably one of the deadliest drugs out there you know and so it's like um i understand and actually i'm so happy that um that event happened to me i mean i still remember the haziness being walked out the door with a box um being feeling disgraced uh in front of my peers uh who all obviously knew what happened you know, I took the GMAT a couple months later. I bombed it. I had to lease my bachelor pad, um, you know, and move back home with my mom.
0: So the apparent 20-something fall from grace. Tell me about the moment in that, in that despair where you were offered the, the, the opportunity to reevaluate your career. Tell me the moment that you realized, wait a minute, if I don't think this oil and gas thing is the right path maybe there's an alternative and the energy market as a whole is going to transition to something different. Can you talk about that, that spark for you?
1: Sure. Um, Well, first I'm going to take you a little bit, uh, you know, back in time. I think that, you know, again, in my childhood, I'm very entrepreneurial in my, my high school years, my college years, very entrepreneurial, but I feel like actually starting in college, I started to like lose sight of, uh, who I was because of just what society expects from you, you know, get a job, go, go to college, get it. So I really, uh, uh, forgot what it, what being an entrepreneur was like, and I had to relearn that. And so after I got fired from Conoco, um, I'm, I'm really lost. I'm just applying for other jobs, you know, that were still in the same industry. Um, trying to, you know, it was an ego thing. Like, how can I get something back quickly and jump back on my feet so that whatever people think of me, I can throw this back in their face. And um, I wasn't getting any hits. I wasn't getting any luck. The industry's small. I'm sure everyone talked to each other. Um, Everyone's wondering, you know, why would a guy leave a position two years or less in? That's like a dream position for most, you know, college graduates. So it just doesn't make sense uh, for us to hire him. Right. And so it wasn't until I started to travel, um, I spent a lot of time with my sister and I was I was uh, ta- reading books. She had to encourage me to start reading again. Um, I started you know, reading about clean energy a lot. Um, I, I remember watching Elon Musk interviews at the time, like 2014 talking about the solar electric economy. And it was very attractive to me. So um, I remember all these dots started to connect. I was watching John Kerry, secretary of state at the time, talking about how climate change was going to create one of the biggest economic opportunities ever in the history of the world. And I was like, wow, that sounds interesting. Like I can make money and do something good, which is kind of what I was seeking um, at my core. And so I continued to travel. I remember the all kind of connected and came together. I'm on the train in uh, Germany. I'm seeing solar panels everywhere on rooftops. And that's where I was like, uh, you know, <laughs> continue the rabbit hole. And um, sure enough, that's what kind of sparked the idea of let's get solar installed on as many rooftops in Texas as possible.
0: And, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'll just point out one of the things that the rest of the entrepreneurs that are listening immediately recognized. (laughs) Anytime you go to a new market and you see something that's proliferated that hasn't proliferated back home, the first thing you go is, "Okay, arbitrage. I've got an idea here that hasn't yet caught on at home. And there were other signs of things that Europe has led the market on that expand into the United States and globally. Right. What a fortunate opportunity in your 20s to be uh, flexible enough to have the freedom to travel, but to have the observation gene, right? And go, wait a minute, what am I seeing here that I can apply back home that right now is underrepresented in the marketplace?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you, you phrased it extremely well, Nico. That's exactly went through my head. I didn't know it at the time, but I just went down a rabbit hole. You know, I started searching how much solar does Germany generate and they're like forty percent of their power. I'm like, how much sunlight hits Germany? Same as Alaska. I'm just scratching my head. Yeah, you know, yeah. You're like, what's up with Florida and Texas? What's going on back home? Why hasn't this taken off yet? And then I looked at literally. I mean, you hit it right there. I mean, the next thing I did was look at America. Less than one percent of our power, you know, generated by solar energy. Yeah. Tell me about that uh, twenty thousand dollar loan. Yeah, I, uh, 2016, I quit a job and I was like, I'm doing GFE. Wait, what job? Did you get a job? Yeah, I did. I get another job. So uh, I started GFE in, in 2014. I'm broke. I don't make a penny in 14. In 15, I make 1,500 bucks in December. So at the end of 2015, I actually took a job with a billionaire based out of uh, Dallas named Trammell Crow. He's a real estate mogul. He's the son of the, um, you know, original Trammell Crow or whatever you want to call him, senior Trammell Crow. And um, he had a show or an expo called Earth Day Texas, and he would recruit organizations from all over America, whether they're nonprofits, for profits, academia, uh, politicians, and he'd host a big conference on the environment. Um, So he had, uh, you know, solar, wind, geothermal, all types of renewable energy companies, And I met him at a forum. So I went to a forum, I wake up, I'm still not doing anything uh, with good faith energy. I'm just kind of volunteering my time. And he's speaking on a panel in South Dallas about renewable energy. And I ask a couple of questions afterwards. He walks up to me and he goes, you know, are you the solar guy? I'm like, I can be like, if you want me to. And he invites me to his house and, and we start talking for six, seven hours. Get and out. The the, he goes, like you like the,
0: the, the son of the founder of the company, Trammell Crow.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so um, the guy is very eccentric. He's all over the place, but his heart's in the right place. In my opinion, he, he cares about the environment. He wants to have this, this green legacy. He
0: lives in a totally different world than us. We don't have to make, uh, he does. you don't have to make any excuses for Trump.
1: <laughs> so, um, but actually that was my springboard uh, that allowed me to go out and meet renewable energy companies, uh, understand their business model. I traveled the country. I went to NREL. I went to the Department of Energy. I went to all these incredible organizations. So you were his
0: internal go- kind of gopher, like, hey, go figure this out for us.
1: Yeah. He's like, go recruit NREL to my show. Oh, for it was for the conference. Yeah, that's it. So I would be like, I'd be like, Trammell, I have to go to SPI to recruit as many solar guys to Dallas for, you know, and at the time, you know, I was able to recruit solar city and solar world, um, you know, which was great. And it was uh, right after that where I quit. And I said, I have to take this thing and grow it. So my sister loaned me money. And, um, and then I had $20,000 I had saved up from that gig and I just started selling solar one project at a time.
0: How do you decide that you need 40 K and, and where to direct that capital?
1: (laughs) I didn't. Yeah. I had no idea, Nico, I can't lie. You know, I, I was, um, I'm a very faith-based, instinctive based entrepreneur. I, I believe that, you know, I put out the right energy in the world. The right energy is going to come back this company was built off faith you know it's called good faith energy and honestly you know i'm not talking about faith from a religious perspective just faith in you know uh, the goodness um, of putting forward you know putting forth your best effort and uh you know highest integrity effort you know due to others how you would be you know would want to be treated and it's been an excellent model for us we're only as good as our, our last google review yeah, well, last I checked, you got some pretty good ones.
0: <laughs> so, again, how did you decide what to do with this 40K? You didn't know yes, what number your sister said. Thing. I'll
1: stroke you a 20K check, I'll match what you have in savings. Exactly. In the beginning, it was super hard to get into the house and sell solar. People were like, Are you an electrician? No. Are you an engineer? No. How are you going to install this? Are you an installer? No, you know?
0: And in Texas, broadly, like I know in, in San Antonio, you
1: have to have a specific license to sell solar, right? Correct. You have to have a master electrician that's assigned his license to your company. So at the time I had found a master electrician, but he had his own company. So I was just kind of the leftovers and um, he didn't really care about my clients. It wasn't really until I partnered with Michael, my current partner, that I really was able to to take that off my shoulders because he's so customer service oriented. He's got an electrical genius of a mind, um, incredible guy on the soccer field. He's a good team player. He's, he's a good coach. Um, He's working on his soccer skills. He's getting better every game. We started talking on the field and I was like, what do you do for a living? He was like, I'm a journeyman. And I was like, you know, I just started foaming at the mouth. I was like, dude, will you take your master's electrician license? I'll pay for your schooling, your test. If you get your license, I'll partner up with you.
0: Give me a second. You're in your twenties and you're telling this guy that's a journeyman electrician, I'll pay for you.
1: Right? He must be looking sideways at you thinking, where is this guy getting this? (laughs) I mean, Michael's uh, five years older than I am, five, six years older than I am. And um, I just, I I told him like, listen, if you're willing to take your test and get your master's license, I will give you 15% of my company, uh, which is actually higher now. You know, it was, it was a big sell because he had his own electrical contracting business. He had his own credit repair business, oddly enough. And he shut both of them down to partner up with me full time.
0: Hey, look what the recruiter said back at Conoco. This guy's got the chops. He can convince people <laughs> where other people can't.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I actually started to install Nest thermostats and I would just put in like, you know, cameras in people's home and do whatever I could do to just make a buck, make a hundred bucks, 200 bucks.
0: I've said this from day one when I'm uh, advising folks that you need a, a, you need a Trojan horse. You need a catalyst sounds like mm-hmm. you recognize that and you were mm-hmm. like, I'll knock on the door and tell them they need a nest. And then that gives you a customer that you can upsell. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when you're on this journey, you're talking to everybody and anybody you can about your thoughts and beliefs and your entrepreneurial, you know, ambitions. And I was talking to a guy in a locker room at a gym and he was like, oh, you're in solar forget solar. It's not going to do anything. Oil and gas is the future. Uh, But if you want to do something worthwhile, you should become a Nest Pro. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt, um, you know, as an entrepreneur too, you're going to have to throw, you know, keep what you like and throw in what you don't. So I continued to push for solar, but I did sign up to become a Nest Pro. And then I put one thermostat at my mom's house, my brother's house, started giving myself five-star reviews. And then next thing you know, I'm getting five, six, seven nest requests a day. Um, hey, I need two thermostats, three cameras. You just build the business, however you can. You know, it's a bootstrapping uh, method. If you know, in my 30s now, would you ask me if I'd bootstrap again? I'd say I don't think I can do it all over again. But you know, the next kind of milestone, it does. The next milestone was EV chargers. We started installing EV chargers, getting in people's homes. Guess what? A lot of those people are going to buy solar in a few, in a couple of years. And, um, slowly we were just able to, to start rolling in the solar business because Michael became part of the picture and, um, the 40 grand didn't, turned into 80 turned into 120. It could continue to grow. And I was, you know, I was living very frugally. Um, but it was, it was a sacrifice well worth it.
0: I love that story. Uh, I don't want to leave too many stones uncovered here. Honestly, you've, you've, been, you've shared a lot of information. I want to focus really quickly on something that this is why I want to interview more founders of installation companies, because that's where the rubber meets the road right now with Tailwind behind us. And I know because we've talked about this, you're a big tent, uh, rising tide lifts all boats kind of guy. There just aren't enough good faith energies in the world. Like There aren't enough really solid installation companies that homeowners can rely on. And part of what I see is there's kind of two cultures. One is this sort of door knocker bro culture of let's go basically like take as much money from the homeowner as we can while the getting's good, which is ruining our industry, in my opinion. And I am I'm vehemently against it. Uh, and the other is folks that they start out with the end in mind, but they want to be at the end. Uh, they want to start selling a full tilt like solar and storage and Uh, And home automation, like all in one, out the gate. And unless you have deep pockets or you're a big alarm company or you're spawning out of some other trammel crow or some big billion dollar company, the thing that they miss is earning the respect and trust of a customer is more important than selling something to them. And doing that through a hook, through a, a little, I'll call it gimmick, but it's a useful product. Like how do you show them that you bring them value? Something as simple as, Gosh, in like the eighties or nineties episodes, I interviewed the founder of Smappy. You probably have heard of Smappy out of the, out of EU, right? Um, kind of like sense mm-hmm. and, and curb, yep. yeah. And curb. and curb and a lot of companies, my buddy Matt up in Canada started using this product as that catalyst, that Trojan horse, right. And to knock the door, say, look, I don't want any, I don't, I, all I want to do is offer you something that costs about 250 bucks and it will instantaneously show you exactly where you've got vampire loads, where, how your home is running and set you up for the home of the future. Right. Mm. I know solar companies that have done that for free. They've literally said, I'm going to gift this to you. If it doesn't bring you value in 90 days, I'll come take it away. If it does, then in 90 days, I want to be able to, I want to sit down with you and talk about what you should do about it. Right. Think about that, the power of that and the ability as a business owner to invest in inventory and time and wait 90 days for results before you go make an ask.
1: I mean, yeah, that's that's the way it should be, right? That's the way it should be, and unfortunately, there's too many people out there trying to take, take, take. Um, and I tell the sales team all the time, you know, it's it's all about giving from the get go. Like, how can I give you, you know, value in every stage of the process? You know, from the second you call in for the discovery call to the second that you're, you know, ready to hear the proposal delivery um, all the way to post installation support. And you have to create value. You have to help people feel that they're part of your community and not just another transaction. Because if, if you know, there's there's just too many people out there focusing on on profit and, um, you know, uh, not really taking care of the homeowner, as you know.
0: Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast, and you've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the Top bankability in the industry, Hexolve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major US developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless, pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. Hey family, one quick reminder here that if you haven't yet joined Resource Labs, you are missing out. It is our outstanding community. It's the evolution of Suncast, moving from presentations, you listening to us talk, to conversations, our community involved in conversations as varied as Powering Australia, to Green Hydrogen, to Crypto and so many other things. Our newsroom is full of great insights. The main chat and even our RE Plus where to party at channel have been popping off. We've got more than 100 folks enjoying the community and I would invite you in. You can do that at mysuncast.com forward slash community. Come see how Resource Labs can help you grow your influence, impact, and income. See you inside. There are lots of ways to think about segmenting the market and determining your product mix. Something that has impressed me fundamentally about the way that you operate, the the two people that are your biggest fans that are also in my sphere of influence are two people on the absolute bleeding edge of product and at the, I'll call premium edge of delivery of product and service to the market, right? Uh, I'll call their names out, Carlos and Omid, but they are Uh, In the storage side of the business and in the sort of rooftop product side of the business, I'd love to hear your philosophy as a business owner who needs to ultimately compete in the marketplace, how you think of outcompeting the market by carving out a blue ocean, right? I mentioned in the outset that you are the number one installer for Span and Tesla roof. Everybody listening knows that you can't talk about Tesla unless Tesla tells you to. So feel free to duck that conversation as much as you need to. But I want to understand why you have it on your own home, how you became the number one installer, why you've picked the most premium products in the marketplace as your anchor point for where you position yourself in the in, in the booming Texas solar market.
1: Yeah, great question. So I'll start with, you know. I love premium products. I think that, um, you know, I've all, always been a tech guy. I've always been someone who embraces tech and, and, and especially tech that has purpose. And I believe clean energy is exactly that. So, you know, I, I think it's a flaw and a blessing at the same time. You know, when you adopt new technologies, you deal with the growing pains. Um, you, you work through the bugs and it's tough, but um, it, it's also very rewarding and the rewarding piece comes whenever you've figured out a difficult product and now you're able to corner the market because you you've either you know dropped your labor pricing because you built so much labor efficiency and i think that's super powerful uh whenever you're looking at a new bleeding edge product that people are interested in that's typically going to be googled or youtubed quite a bit um, it's going to drive traffic uh, to your channels. It's going to get people are going to uh, validate your company. You know, they're going to give you the credibility because they're like, wow, you know, Span says this about you and others. And so that's great. You know, I think Span to me, uh, I was the first Span installer in Texas. The first Span installation happened in my uh, my house. And it's just because of, of follow up. You know, even if I talk to the sales team and I say, you know, what's more important, lead quality or lead follow up? What's the answer, Nico? Follow-up. The gold is in the follow-up. I'm just kidding. Of course. Lead (laughs) follow-up, lead follow-up, lead follow-up, right? So um, I think uh, partner follow-up, vendor follow-up. Hey, when's this product coming out? Hey, when I want to be your first guy. Hey, when's this coming out? I want to be your beta. Um, And that's the kind of relationship I had built with all of our partners, you know, whether it be Panasonic at the time. So Panasonic recommended me to span. He was like, yo, you got to talk to Mo over at Good Faith Energy. And then you know, Span, I was like, hey, I want to be your first install in Texas, and I want to do it on my house with my solar roof and with my power wall. Uh, and so obviously Span got interested in that and we work through the bugs. You know, I will say there was some bugs and, and that's what you're going to get from new technology. And guess what? Now, when you're selling the product, you can set that expectation and say, hey, listen, Mr. Homeowner, Mrs. Homeowner, after the install, there's going to be about 30 to 45 days of commissioning. We just built a new microgrid at your home. You know, we're going to have to commission this and we're going to have to work through software bugs and so on and so forth. So being an early adopter allows you to communicate the most effectively to your customer base on what they can expect. And if you can do that, you're typically going to have clients that have a good customer experience and leave you good reviews and tell your friends and family about you. But if you don't, um, you know, it's the flip side.
0: Do you find that once you had installed it on your own home, your clients have more credibility with you or you have more credibility with them? Does it help your sales team to say our CEO
1: has it installed? Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many uh, tours I've done at my house with potential clients that walk out of there saying, you know, send me the papers, you know, and because when people see, see it and they feel it, um, it becomes real. Otherwise it's just been in digital images and on, on screens and they have no idea what to expect.
0: Has Pablo gone in and done a digital, like a virtual walkthrough so that you can do those home tours without needing to invite people all the time into your home as you scale?
1: It's a great idea. Um, I'm actually uh, re- shooting a video with Span next week for RE Plus, And they're going to, uh, you know, so that's something that we might have to shoot.
0: You definitely should, man. Um, <laughs> you guys should collab. You'll, you'll meet Josh Porter. He's, uh, he's working with us. You'll be on, you'll see him on the Daily Roundup. Uh, and he's done some product uh, videos for Span as well on his home. So you guys are going to have a lot to, to talk Let's about. Go. It's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, we'll chop it up. Yeah, that's gonna be a lot of fun. So I'd love to hear a little bit about the business building. You are how many you're now six years into building business?
1: Correct. Yeah. So we founded in 2018, really operational since 16. And uh, we have about 70 employees. You know, we, we've grown the business significantly. We bought a building, we installed the 170 solar panels on the roof. And so it's, it's fun to be able to, you know, practice what you preach. Do you have storage on that building? Um, we do. We have two Tesla Powerwalls. Um, we've had a couple outages, you know, they weren't very long, but and it's honestly been incredible. We we doubled year over year up until about 2019, uh, 20, and then, you know, we started growing at about 50% a year, which is still a very respectable growth rate. It's been amazing, man. I mean, we're only really hyper focused on this pocket in 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 North Texas. Uh we've done some work in other markets, but this is kind of our, our home. You know, I'm from Plano, my neighbors from or my partners from Garland, uh, and we we enjoy serving our community. What's
0: been the hardest part of building the company so far
1: for you? So many hard things, um, all different at different stages. Um, I would say, uh, the hardest thing has been managing my own, um, probably emotions. Um, my, my, my mindset, uh, mental state. I think, um, you know, you go through different, uh, peaks and troughs throughout the year. Uh, I call it the solar coaster for a reason and um that's been been very difficult in the early days i think the financials you know i'm not an accountant i'm not a, a you know finance expert and so up until we were about 10 million dollars in revenue um, i was able to manage the company kind of on my own uh, once we exceeded that number managing the cash flow the profitability you know all, all of these kind of financial areas has been a huge challenge uh, primarily because i'm an organically grown business so i don't have you know, VC money. I don't have private equity money. Uh, I started the business with 40 grand and, and organically grew it. And, you know, luckily and fortunately the company's sustaining itself, uh, it has for a number of years, we're doing great. We have a huge credit line with a lot of very, very credible vendors and they love the way we do business. You know, if, if your name is good faith energy, you better do business in good faith.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. When I talk to you, similar to the recruiter that brought you into Conoco, I, I get why people follow you. I get the, uh, the high EQ that you bring to the table. You also are a deep thinker who's spent a lot of time, to your point, about focus on your mindset and personal growth. I wonder if you thought about what messages you have to the world, to, to your children, and where, if you were given a stage like TED, for example, what would your TED talk be about?
1: um so for one i think uh embracing yourself embracing your past i think that uh was a a breakthrough for me because i had uh gone through uh the tragedy that i had gone through i kind of you know came into my shell and uh didn't want to leave it for a number of years and and i think i had suppressed a lot of my you know negative emotions um i i was always kind of this guy that had a big smile on his face but on the back end Never really knew what was going on inside me. I wasn't very open. I wasn't very vulnerable. <sighs> Um, and I think that's what travel uh, taught me. And it allowed me to be more open and vul- vulnerable. It was just a really uh, an experience that, that changed my life. And then uh, certain experiences with uh, my siblings, my sister, you know, first time I heard her tell a group of people what had happened to, to my dad was transformational for me. I had never had the courage to, you know, in a, group, in a room full of people, tell them what had happened to me in the past. Uh, so I think when I stopped hiding from my past, uh, I really embraced who I was and, and kind of stepped into the, the shoes and the purpose that um, I have to fulfill here on Earth. I think that um, you know uh, technology, you know the adoption of technology, talking to people on on stage and, and a message is like we we go around we buy you know automatic lighting and, and shades and this and that and and uh, home entertainment systems and but like what about investing in clean energy technology? And not necessarily boiling it down to when is my financial return? Because like, what's your ROI on your $50,000 shades all over your house? But so I've always wanted to send a message of like, if you're financially capable, if you have the resources, you know, then invest in clean energy technology and be a light for the world, like our, our future. when I mean, you see what's happening in Pakistan right now. You got like thousands of lakes, you know, glaciers that are melting. And what is that a result of like climate change? Um, Pakistan's responsible for less than 1% of the world's carbon emissions, right? They just happen to be in a country with a lot of altitude and a lot of glaciers. I think people need that message. Stop looking at everything from just a financial ROI. There is a triple bottom line ROI on solar. And there's not many products on this planet that can claim that, right? I'm going to make a social impact because we're going to hire local people to get on your home, to, you know, engineer this, to permit this and project manage it. You know, we're going to lower the carbon footprint on the planet and we're going to make a little bit of money to stimulate the tax base and grow the economy and create more jobs and so on. So I think that that message needs to be sent, um, to everybody and anybody as well as like, you know, just embrace your past and, and, um, be who you are.
0: That's beautiful. I'm going to introduce you to my friend, Rain Bennett, who also was a guest on the podcast. I would encourage you six second stories, his business, he's blowing up on TikTok and IG right now. And he's done, he's right here in Durham, amazing guy, but you've got a, you've got a Ted talk in you, man. I love it. I'm like taking notes (laughs) on the things that I, how I would structure that conversation, right? That, that, the intro would be in that room where your sister's telling that story and your mind is breaking All right. so mm-hmm. anyway uh, i, w- I want to move along to to more storytelling from mo uh you launched a, a podcast in the middle of growing a business you are also really challenging the frontier of digital media and its impact to create a different platform for you as a thought leader and how that ultimately uh, impacts the world, not just the, the, the good faith energy bottom line. Talk about Thinking Green and the, the ideation behind it, why you created it, and some of the interviews that have been impactful for you.
1: Yeah. So thinking green was really sprung from the belief that I I have a message that I want to share with the world about sustainability, about exactly what I just told you. I'd say on my TED talk, you know, about, you know, look at, you know, water, food, waste, housing, transportation, energy. Let's look at sustainability holistically. Let's talk to people within these different fields of expertise Uh, Let's see how they're impacting the world, how they're thinking green, how their thought process in being green is impacting the people in the world around them. And um, I've had an incredible time, you know, recording these, these podcasts. I mean, it, like I was telling you earlier, I started out on Google Meets and, and now we're definitely podcasting better thanks to my awesome podcasting team, Pablo and Savannah. Um, but um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun to um, talk to different people from different industries, but like minded uh, nonetheless when it comes to sustainability and their desire to leave the world a better place than, than where they found it. Um, I've had an opportunity, you know, interview some incredible guests. I had Allison Johnson, this uh, chief marketing officer with Enphase. Uh, I've talked to Arj over at, at Span. I've talked to a few other really cool guests. Um, I highly recommend it. You know, different organizations, some nonprofit, some for profit, um, but yeah, it's it it was. I know that there needs to be more media creation, more co- curated content for renewable energy, for sustainability in general. And, um, you know, you give it a shot, just like I gave Grown a Startup a shot. Um, you know, we we gave Grown a Podcast a shot. We haven't done the best job with it, but, um, you know, we're back on track.
0: But dude, you are doing a great job. and. You can testify to the listeners like I on a run in New York City, like literally in the middle of Wall Street was listening to the Allison Johnson interview because I wanted to hear what you are producing before I brought you on and before I invited you to do things like join us at the Media Zone and at RE+. Plus. And I I remember stopping and taking a screenshot with like five minutes left in the episode and texting you and just being like, bro, you are
1: doing something (laughs) cool. That means a lot to me. You're listening to my podcast in the middle of New York while on a jog. I mean, wow, uh, the the honor is mine, my friend. But no, it's it's been fun to have this podcast. I also think it's a great sales tool for my sales team. You know, if they're selling a span, they can say, hey, you know, our CEO had a conversation with the CEO of span. It's
0: so true that you say that. I was just talking with someone yesterday about how... Podcasts generally, people think of them as like, oh, I got to grow a big platform. But it is a useful medium for capturing the leader's ideas and transmitting them to your marketplace. It doesn't matter if you get a thousand or a hundred thousand other listeners. It matters that you know what to do with that content once you've captured it and the ability to think about realtors since the 70s and 80s have become thought leaders in their community to drive homeowners that are moving into their community to them as the person they should buy a house from by doing things like getting a local newspaper column interviewing the president of the local business that drives this driving uh, new uh, new hires interviewing the principal of the best school system so that people wouldn't have to do all of that research right and then it ascribes value to you the thought leader about why they should trust you because you are bringing them trust in a box, in a bottle right there, like you interviewing Arch Rao through your lens as the installer who has chosen his product is hyper valuable to your installers, whether I or anyone else ever listen to that podcast at all. And I think that's what people don't get about the power of podcasts right now.
1: I see the passion and I can feel it too. I mean, absolutely. You're right. Like I, I absolutely feel the same way. It's such a powerful tool. I have had people buy Solar and Span from us just because they watched that podcast and they loved it. You know, and you don't really create this content with that intention. It is education and awareness campaigns. It's not a buyer intent type of campaign where you're on Google and someone searches, uh, you know, solar panel installer near me. You know, when you're creating, curating content, you know, podcasting you're hoping that somebody is getting inspired, you know, maybe a, a mile away from you or a thousand miles away from you, uh, doing something about it, um, your message resonating with them and changing their life. And if you do that for one person over the course of your whole podcasting career, then you've, you you're, you're a success. And, um, one of the things I was mentioning earlier too, is that I, I believe that it's a great tool for my kids. You know, long after I'm gone, they can sit around and you know, they can hear conversations that dad used to have, right. With, and, and again, I think of that stuff because I didn't really have any videos or photos or, you know, uh, sound recordings with my dad. And so having that for my kids is like, you know, uh, special to me.
0: It's so true, man. So two, two stories here real quick. The first thing that you forget about someone who passes away is the sound of their voice, right? It's the first thing that slips away. The mental Mm -hmm. images stay. Uh, the memories stay. The sound of their voice. I've told hundreds of people at this point, before you lose the opportunity, just pull your iPhone out or your regular phone, <laughs> press record, press voice notes and capture any conversation with the people you love. Capture anything because you mm-hmm. won't regret it. I have a uh, a mentee of mine. I met him on, an, on a plane flight. He was headed to Texas to, to sit with his grandparents and basically like watch them while they passed away. And uh, I said, "Don't get fancy. Pull your phone out. Record every conversation." He messaged me a year later and and talked about how profound an impact that made on him, and how he's so grateful for one conversation on an airplane that changed the course of his ability to remember his grandparents. So that's one. Uh, Two. Sorry, did you want to respond?
1: I was. I mean, no. That's the no. No words needed. I mean that that was that was so deep. I'm definitely gonna implement that in my life. And I appreciate you sharing that with me. Cause that, that is, that's an excellent piece of advice. Like, well, we want to overcomplicate do that it right? with all like, my loved ones.
0: Yeah. Like I said, we want to overcomplicate. I said this to you before we started pressing, before we pressed record here, like, I'm using $2,000 with of gear. You're using like more than that cuz I know Pablo has told me what, what you guys are using. You have an impeccable studio. But you started out on Google Meet. My man, you started you recorded Allison Johnson on Google freaking Meet. Like and I am paying, you know, $5,000 for my podcast studio. Um and and you're getting you're getting like a ton of of uh of traction for. it. The second thing, I I remember very distinctly multiple friends that I've interviewed who have reached out to me when the episode published and said, can I please get an MP3 of this? I want to put it in my like digital vault for my kids who are too young right now to understand why mommy Mm -hmm. is, is always working. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's that for me, that is more meaningful than getting my next client. It really genuinely is because that, as you said, is the ability for communication to leave an indelible mark on society. Right, and we have a chance, even as CEOs of companies that are, are that are investing in this economy through our businesses, through our portfolio companies, we have a chance, even still, to build a platform that allows us to expand our voice because modern technology allows us resiliency in our home, but it also allows us to expand beyond our local neighborhood and talk to the world, one to many. That's what this mm-hmm. podcast is, and Thinking Green, which I hope folks will subscribe to, a link to in the podcast notes, is an excellent podcast, and I would, I will personally punch you in the throat if you stop thinking green
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i won't i won't dare to do so thank you so much nico for for all that support i mean it means a lot
0: i've got a couple more questions before before we um drop off here what are some of the marketing ideas that you've tested that have driven the most profitable opportunity to good faith so far
1: yeah, great question. Uh, a lot of different marketing campaigns. Um, one of them ha- was a, a review campaign. So we just asked clients to, to leave us good reviews for a hoodie. And we did that. And when they got their hoodies, they were going around showing all their friends and family their hoodies. And, and we got a ton of referrals from it. Um, uh, our Google lead source is our, our biggest lead source. Um, we run a lot of uh, pay-per-click um, you know, and then uh, just organic map listings, findings. Yeah, the uh, Google My Business because of our presence in the local market. Yep, uh, Google My Business, pay per click. Um, that's kind of your buyer intent keywords, and so that's typically our biggest ROI on marketing dollars. I don't really like buying leads from vendors. I'm like, hey, I'd rather spend that money to market Good Faith Energy, yeah, and so that by the time the lead comes to us. Yeah, exactly. Um, Another big thing that we started doing this year, we started going on Good Morning Texas every month. Uh, That's been awesome. Uh, It's a big education awareness uh, type of uh, campaign, but we have generated a a bunch of money from it. And um, typically, those clients are like, I saw you on Good Morning Texas. Like, I'm doing business with you. And that's great. You know, so, uh, you know, we don't really run a whole lot of Facebook ads. I think YouTube has been very successful for us. Uh, The amount of uh, uh, hits that we've seen on certain videos that we've pushed out. What's your Uh, video strategy on YouTube
0: for those who haven't watched your...
1: Yeah, so a video strategy is find a topic that's hot that people want to know about and uh, shoot a good uh, uh, production around it uh, and then send it to a bunch of outlets that you think would pick up the story if um you know uh, as soon as the video goes live uh, so that's actually exactly what we did you know we pushed out a video about tesla solar roof versus hail and everyone wanted to know you know how does this thing compare to hail and we had a client that recorded a hail storm and he uh, on a solar roof and he had just recorded you know a minute clip or whatever of like this softball sized hail you know falling down from the sky we went out there the next day to inspect it. No damage, and so we went back and, and shot a production video and said Tesla Tesla solar roof versus Texas sized hail. That's so good. And did you come yeah. up with that? And did I mean, Pablo come up with your that? Boy, Pablo. No, that's all Pablo, man. And so he went out there with uh, with Jim, our director of roofing. I was not even part of the video, and it was incredible. It went viral. Uh, it's got over two hundred thousand views. Uh, we sold a number of solar roof projects from that video in Texas. Pretty amazing. And so I think uh, YouTube's always great because it lives there forever, pretty much. And, you know, it's every time a sales rep comes to me with a question and says, customer has this question. I say, well, did you see the YouTube video about it? Yes. (laughs) So that's been fun.
0: Yes. I want to tap this really quickly. So I think that people don't invest in marketing enough. And by that, I mean, like they'll go hire an agency and the agency doesn't understand your business, that you're going to spend so much time asking you your business, it's a rare agency like ours that really actually full, full, fund, fundamentally understands where you're coming from. But even still, Pablo being inside knows what you're trying to accomplish on an X factor. How much uh, uh, X factor return uh, have you gotten from the investment in Pablo and all of the equipment? Because I know it's no small sum of the equipment he has basically to no, by.
1: I mean it's exponential um you know Pablo and I met when he was um still a freelancer he was shooting videos uh for you know other clients and I he was shooting for me too and uh remember the first time we always joke like he gave away his first video to me for free It paid off. It paid off. But um, it's been an exponential gain, Nico. I mean, uh, he's a wealth of knowledge. He's an engineer by background that picked up the camera one day and said, I like marketing and I like uh, video. Um, His expertise is in videography, um, but he's also got a lot of experience building websites and managing vendors and teams and um, you name it, software projects. Um, so it's, it definitely has been an X factor. I mean, you, you read the Rockefeller book about scaling, uh, scaling up, you know, you got three, three major categories, right? Uh, leadership systems, marketing. If you're not investing in a good marketer or in a good agency that really has your back, you know, good luck scaling your business. Uh, you're never going to build your machine.
0: Couldn't have said it better. (laughs) You know, we've talked a bunch about you being on the bleeding edge and how it is a strategic advantage for you. But I gotta ask, you know, Seth Godin says sometimes you gotta you gotta know when to stop digging. where did you decide to stop digging? As a bleeding edge uh, uh, evangelist, when did you cut too deep?
1: I've done it so many times in my career where I just get excited, my entrepreneurial in nature, you know, tosses me in a billion different directions. And I think the, the eye opener for me was when I started to lose people. And then in their exit interview, they'd say, I can't follow you. One day you want to do solar panels. The next day you want to install Nest thermostats. The day after we're putting in a NEMA plug. What's going on here? Like, w- what am I supposed to sell, do?
0: This is a part of the entrepreneur dilemma. You get this feedback and it's famously hard to decide how to focus and everybody says, pick one thing, right? Even now, good mm-hmm. faith isn't energy, isn't picking one thing, but what you, what you told us in the story is, the is the 2020 hindsight of what you did pick. I'm going to guess that was the, the Nest Pro as the anchor product, right? You kind of dabbled in a lot of things and Nest is one of the things that sort of unlocked the door for you. How did you ultimately take that feedback from, these exit interviews are just painful. It's like hyper-awareness uh, and critical feedback for you. How did you take that and turn it into an action plan? What did that look like?
1: Exactly what you said. It turned into an action plan. You know, I sat down and I flushed out my strategy and vision. And I said, like, our, you know, starting with our the five W's, who, what, when, where, why? Like, who are we? What do we do? Where do we do it? And I think what happened was for the longest time, I was just focused on a sales management role and uh, I got sat down. They're like, we need you to be the CEO. So naturally I went on YouTube and I was like, how to be a CEO. (laughs) Um, And I know I'm oversimplifying it, but I have some great mentors and I've looked around, but you have to have a sales and marketing plan and operations plan, you know, and a delivery or service plan, you know, on the back. And you have to know, you know, across the board, you have to have a marketing plan, then a sales plan, then an action plan. How are you going to execute this? And then a service plan on the back end. And so I started to put together what I'm responsible for, which are the first two big buckets. How do we market? How do we sell? And I just started flushing all that information out. And then guess what? I started to be more transparent with my staff. Hey, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is where we do it. Here's a document that you can look at if you ever forget. And I think people now respect your leadership when you're more transparent, you're communicating more, they understand where you're headed uh, versus every day it being, you know, crap um, crapshoot. Well, what's what's going to happen today? What's Mo going to ask me to do? <laughs> right. And so I, I have had to go against my nature and change, you know, some of the innate entrepreneurial characteristics that I have to say, no, I need to, to flush out my ideas. I need to show people where we're headed. I can't just toss them in different directions all the time. And I think with new bleeding edge products, what I do now is instead of saying, you know, I'm the one pounding the vendor, I want to do this. And then I go all in and, you know, no, I get my new product integration manager. He buys a beta, he installs a beta, he produces a report. He comes back and he says, I think this is a great product. I think this is not a product we should ever service, or I think this is a product we should service after this punch list has been addressed. And that buy-in that you get from, you know, engineering, from the service departments, the operations departments now, okay, sales, you can go sell this. Versus in the past, I'm always making decisions that are sales oriented. They're just oriented. How can I make some money? How can I bootstrap this to continue, you know, the 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 you know longevity, the survival of this organization? But at some point, you wake up, you say, I don't have to bootstrap anymore. I need to strategize. I need to make sure everyone knows where we're headed. I need to invest in my leadership. And I think that that's been extremely beneficial um, from a professional development perspective.
0: I should probably stop the interview right there. You've had a couple of mic drop moments, but I'm going to persevere because I do want to get into mindset and I want to get into Mo's, uh, hacking Mo's process. Gosh, dude, you're just, you are a wellspring of, uh, of knowledge at such a young age. I, I salute you and admire the, the business, but also the person that you have constructed. Uh, and I mean that very- specifically because it's clear that you've constructed the person that I'm looking at. You have intentionally crafted him. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Are there any particular, you mentioned, uh, Rockefeller habits, uh, scaling up by Vern Harnish, the book that we recommend a lot since very, one, I did, this is the only book review sort of book report I did back when I was trying to figure out what suncast was going to be. I did a book review like way back in the, in like the episode 40 or something, uh, on scaling up. What books have made that indelible impact that not only meant a lot to you, but that you now recommend to
1: others who are asking you for advice? Good question. So I'm, I'm looking at my desk over there. I have a stack of books on there. I love a book called uh, True North by Bill George. I'm, I'm sure you've read it. Uh, Servant Leadership, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm looking at my desk over there. I love uh, Rocket Fuel by Gina Wickman. Are you, um, are you managing on EOS? Uh, not yet. No, but um, yeah, but it's that's a good uh, rocket fuel is more about visionary integrator relationships and stuff. But yeah, 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 we're on the same page. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, well, well, Gino get there. says, like
0: if mm. you are going to start looking into EOS before reading Traction, the book that describes EOS, which itself is like mm-hmm. very mechanical and at, at times dry, read mm-hmm. Rocket Fuel, and I, and so that's I recommend Absolutely.
1: it. It's a good book for any entrepreneurs starting out needing to understand, you know, what should I do next? Like, okay, well, first understand what your role is going to be in this and then go find someone that compliments you.
0: You're going to appreciate this. So I don't share this often except with my coaching clients, but I'll share it here. Uh, And certain folks are going to get this gem. If you're scaling your business, there's kind of three milestones. And this is confirmed by you know, one of my friends and mentors is a guy named Andy Klump, his personal business coach for the last eight years. Mike Myro is also a personal mentor of mine. Andy's coach through the entire growing of Clean Energy Associates and their recent exit, a non-trivial exit, mind you. And they built their business on uh, EOS principles. But the three milestones are kind of up to 10 million is traction. From 10 to 100 million is scaling up and over 100 million there's another book that almost nobody talks about, but is just as impactful called Three Hag Way. Like nobody talks about this, right? Mm. But those are the three books. That's the canon. You want to grow to a hundred million dollar business? Traction, scaling up, Three Hag Way. Add those to your reading list, Mo.
1: You got it. Yeah. You're I'm on your way. Really, I know it too. So, like, <laughs> and, if you to, and if you
0: want to intro to Mike, I'm happy to make it do. He's right in Houston. Please, man. Please. That would be great. Awesome. Do you have a morning routine or evening routine that primes you for the day?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, early morning workout is key. Uh, exercising, you hear it by uh, from every entrepreneur, CEO type person in the world uh, that's uh, living healthily. Um, you know, I get out of my, my workout and um, try to write, read or listen to an audio book on my way to work. You know, once I get to work, I typically have an avocado toast or something to kind of get my fuel going after my morning shake. Obviously, I make my kids smoothies every morning. They love my smoothies. It's great. And then once I get into work, really, I just try to hydrate. Um, I, I skip lunch most of the times unless I have, you know, someone that invites me out or something. I just I'm, I'm, I'm running and gunning and, and I forget all about food in the middle of the day. I like a good big, bref- uh, good big breakfast, but lunch I can get by with just some fruits some some nuts, you know, and then I get home around six. I have a great time with my kids, my wife. Uh, we have dinner together. Uh, they they know that dessert is with dad. So after dinner, dad's pulling out the cookies, you know, or the ice cream, or whatever it is. Um, and then we we typically read some books, put the kids to bed, and then um, you know get a little bit of time time with my wife, uh, catch up. You know, I have a four and a two year old, so a lot of times you just feel like you're going through the motions. You're stressed with work. You're back. You know, just nah, hurry up and put them to bed. But I think um, you know you have to embrace. You have to enjoy those moments as much as you can. Everyone says it. Ah, you know, enjoy it while it lasts. And I see so many folks see me with my kids out in the park or out at, at at the grocery store and they always give you that reminder, right? Like enjoy this, enjoy this stage and it, it, it moves quick. And um, so, yeah, my routine is really, um, you know, I pray uh, I'm a very faithful person. I, I like to pray throughout the day. Um, I like to like consciously uh, be grateful. I go around, I tell people all the time, you know, your keys to being happy in life are being grateful, um, being a forgiving, you know, forgiving person or asking for forgiveness gratitude, patience and asking for forgiveness. That's kind of my 3 three-headed horn and I really believe that that can give you a lot of gratitude and or a lot of happiness in life. Just be be thankful, be patient when you're, you know, facing trials and tribulations and constantly ask people for forgiveness. You know, I call my mom up and be like, "Mom, I I'm sorry, you know, I'm I'm sorry for like those 10-15 years that I just, you know, dragged you through the mud." and it's so empowering. You walk away thinking that, you know, um, you, you're feeling a lot better about, you know, uh, your status, your condition and, um, your purpose on, on this planet. So, yeah.
0: Mo, I think that this is a podcast that every person in our Suncast tribe should listen to. And I know that folks are going to really dig it and they're going to want to follow you. They're going to listen to your podcast, like give you a moment to just tell people where you can be found.
1: Absolutely. Uh, my platform of choice is LinkedIn. So search me, Muhammad Abdallah, uh, Good Faith Energy. Uh, I'm on Instagram, underscore Mo Dalla. It's a combination of my first and last name. Feel free to follow me there. And um, yeah, YouTube is a big one for us. Good Faith Energy, YouTube. We got a lot of educational, good content. And lastly, definitely check out the podcast, Thinking Green. You know, appreciate you, Nico, too, man. You, you're sitting here giving me compliments all this time, but you have an incredible story. You've built this podcast up to 500 plus episodes. You're a you know a benchmark in this industry, and uh, everyone speaks very, very highly of you. You know, even Omid and Carlos when they reached out to me, were like, "You got to talk to him. You're gonna have a great time." and and, um, you know, reassuredly, I have. And and so, you know, thank you for what you do, man, because your voice is powerful and it's reaching a lot of people throughout, you know, the globe. And I think it's sending a message that needs to be heard about the importance of, you know, the work that we do day in and day out.
0: Thanks, brother. As I say in our, uh, our community, the Resource Labs, we are resources to the world and we gotta see it that way. You gotta give more than you take, you really mm-hmm. do. Uh, in that light, I'd love to hear I may refashion this question based on how I just framed that. I don't know that I'll do it today, but I'm going to think on that because I'm always evolving, always trying to think, what's the right interview flow here? But I'm going to ask you the same question I've asked 500 plus times now. Let's end today, Mo, with a bold prediction. What one thing do you see in the marketplace on the bleeding edge where you usually hang out that maybe nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball?
1: My crystal ball, I mean, I think my crystal ball in general is made out of solar cells. Okay. In the future, everything's got embedded solar cells even the freaking magic eight ball is solar powered i think you're gonna see solar cells embedded in in every building material um, that we we see today um, or 90 percent of them you know within the next decade call it an ambitious target but the solar industry is used to you know beating and exceeding uh, ambitious targets and so um, i really do believe that uh, from a product perspective uh, bleeding edge stuff Everything commercialized has just slowly gotten better and better in terms of efficiency, power output, energy capacity. I've seen some interesting things happening with like load management uh, that I'm very excited about being able to uh, manage loads uh, individually with different technology, you know, different than the span. Nothing against span though. You know, those are my boys over there and, and I love them. From a bold perspective, you know, we're, we're just going to continue seeing solar cells in everything and transportation and housing and building materials. Um, you know, it's 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 going to be integrated in everything we see from agriculture, you know, food, water. There's got to be a, a source of power. And I think that solar power is just going to reach a state of uh, 30, 40 percent generation, you know, by by 2040. Uh, I don't know where I came up with those numbers, but it just felt right. It is on an incredible runway, an incredible path. I don't know if that's bold enough, though. I feel I feel kind of unbold with my answers, Nico. What do you think is your bold prediction? Let me ask you. You probably answered this question a few times.
0: (laughs) I have uh, have lots of bold predictions. I think that everyone is a thought leader and guys like you underscore that reality for me. And uh, to tag on to what you just said, the White House released just today as we're talking the federal sustainability plan. Do you know how ambitious this thing is? Have you seen this? I haven't seen that. Gosh, we're talking about it in our community. The um, If you haven't joined the resource labs, I'll, I'll give you the link for it in a minute. But. White House Council on Environmental Quality released the Implementing Instructions for Executive Order 14057. Do you know what the first thing is? It's unbelievable, dude. This is going to blow your mind. The first thing says we will be 100% carbon pollution-free elect- electricity by 2030, including 50% on a 24-7 basis. <laughs> what? Talk yeah. about a crystal ball yeah. somebody is uh that's I mean bold. I would say that's more than bold somebody in the white house is on crystal meth <laughs> but um <that's, laughs> I would say while there's no way in in Hades that we'll be 100% carbon pollution free electricity by 2030 that is the kind of leadership we need from Capitol hill
1: mm-hmm. 100% man i mean you got to set ambitious targets and every time i've set ambitious targets and and then you know uh, facilitated and managed it, you know, in a good positive manner, you always get good results. And you and, and and typically if you don't, you fall just short and you still have an incredible effort that you've put put forward. So we have to be ambitious about this because it's impacting each and every one of us.
0: Mo Abdallah, the founder and CEO of Good Faith Energy, taking over The world, one rooftop at a time. It has been such a joy to get to know you. I'm grateful to our friends, Omid and Carlos, who insisted that I bring you on. They did not disappoint, and neither did you.
1: No, absolutely not, Nico Johnson. Thanks for having me, man. I look forward to seeing you in person, meeting in person uh, in Anaheim here in a few more weeks. Continue doing your thing, man. You're a blessing and a joy to all your listeners, and it's been an absolute honor for me. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: All right, Solar Warrior. I want to say a huge thank you to Mohammed and Pablo and the team over at Good Faith Energy who helped make this episode happen. I want to thank Omid, Yada, and Carlos, a good friend of mine down in Texas works for Tesla who brought Mohammed and Good Faith to my attention. I genuinely mean it. When I say that you want to follow this guy, he's going to be a star in our industry for a long time to come. Mohammed, thank you for investing in our education Today, I really enjoyed hearing Mohammed's reflection on the growth process, the ability to, to pull back the reins in his ever intensifying sort of desire to be on the bleeding edge of technology, the ability to surround himself with smart, capable people to grow the business and to trust that he could take that small seed of investment from his sister and grow it into what is now a multimillion dollar business scaling the clean energy sector to new heights not just in texas but increasingly beyond not just in resi but again moving into other sectors as well thank you mo for showing us what it looks like to lead the clean energy revolution hey i know that you love to learn that's why you're here i would encourage you if you are like me you want to Dig into the resources and highlights from this discussion, the social media links to get in touch with Mohammed, even the book recommendations. So you should head over to mysuncast.com. Click on the episodes section. That's where we've got show notes for this episode and links to all of those goodies for you. Since you're going to be online, I would like to ask you a couple of more things. If you go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast, I would be incredibly grateful for your five-star review and enthusiastic rating of this podcast podcasts so that others can find Suncast just like you and increase their influence, income, and understanding of how they can position themselves as you and I are doing to help lead the Clean Energy Revolution and take one step more forward in doing it. Build your company, build your career with us here on Suncast. Each and every week, we bring you tactical practical advice on Tuesdays, deep dive insights on subject matter experts that help you understand how the technology and the twists and turns matter. And on Thursdays, conversations like this with Mohammed, with executives, founding companies that are making a change and making a difference. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to be here. If you wanna join our community, you should definitely go check out our community on mysuncast.com forward slash community free for now. For sure, it is the place to grow and learn with us outside of the podcast, much, much more to come in 2023. Speaking of 2023, it's almost here. So thank you for a wonderful year. Thank you for listening. Thank you for following and recommending the show to your friends. Most of all, thank you for contributing to what we affectionately call the Clean Energy Revolution. Thank you for being a solar warrior, a climate champion. Thank you for lending us your time. And that non-renewable resource is so, so valuable to this show and others like it. Thanks, finally, to our sponsors SunGrow, you've been a great sponsor for us this year as our annual sponsor. Thanks to everyone else who's contributed and helped make this show free for you. If you'd like to know how you could partner with us just as they have done to reach thousands of clean tech champions and Solar Warriors twice a week, well, that's at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Remember, as I always say, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. Happy New Year.